Well, my name is Parker Johnson. I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church in Bruton, Alabama. And as we enter the second week of canceled services, let me remind you that I'll be posting uh, midweek devotionals like this on Wednesdays and sermons on Sunday mornings. These can be found through the Facebook page, our website, fpcbruton.org, and on Apple iTunes. I would like to say before we begin, uh, I'd like to encourage you to do something very practical tomorrow. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, don't first pick up the remote to turn the TV on in your bedroom. Don't pick up your phone to check the news first. You know, when we do that, we really frame our days in the context of responding to fear. Instead, I encourage you to anchor your heart and your soul and your emotions for the day by first going to the Word. Pick up the Bible. Read a psalm. Read a psalm with your spouse, your family, and pray that the Lord might prepare you for whatever lies ahead in the day. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that as we look at your Word, help us, Father. Make us more like Jesus, calm our hearts, cast our eyes once more upon our Savior. Um, help us. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, last week we looked at Isaiah 43, uh, verse 1. This week I'd like to continue our series of Isaiah 43. Remember in verse 1 we read last week, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. You know, we were told last week in God's word here in verse 1 of chapter 43 that we are told not to fear, not to fear. And we see that he gave us reasons for that because he has redeemed us in Christ and he has called us by name and we belong to him. And it's important to note that these promises, they belong to us as God's people. This is not a universal promise for all of humanity, for all of mankind. This is specifically to those whom he has created, not physically speaking, though he's created all. This is speaking to those whom he has created, his people, in their salvation. We learn from the words of Paul, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. These promises are to you, you who are in Christ, you who are a new creation, you whose sin has been dealt with and been born again and given new hearts. God has saved us and He is not going to abandon us. He's not going to abandon us now, nor will He abandon us in the age to come. You know, as those who have been redeemed and saved and made new, we ultimately belong to the age that is to come. Our citizenship is in heaven. One day, we will live in the new heavens and the new earth where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. But this is an awkward time, right? In the words of one theologian, we more or less have dual citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, and yet we live here in an age that knows disease and death, fear and failure, pestilence and prisons. So much of walking the Christian life is learning how to react to a fallen world. What does it look like? 
for us to live in a world that is yearning for the day of Christ's return. When not just people, but whole systems and all of creation will no longer be broken, but will be redeemed and made whole. In the midst of all that, in the midst of that tension, we have this command of God to fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Um, Let's continue on in verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Note that these two main sections of Isaiah 43.2 start with this really important word, when. When you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fire, it doesn't say if. The Word of God assumes that there will be trials in our lives. Indeed, it is through trials that God often works to make us more like His Son, Jesus. I think one of the things that makes it harder for us as the American Evangelical Church to respond when big things like this happen is because somehow we falsely unhelpfully let slip into our theology, into the church, that if we're good people and pay our tithes and go to church on Sunday, if we basically love everybody, then, then God more or less owes us a good life without real struggles. The reality, my friends, is that's just not true. He promises to be with us when we pass the waters and when we walk through the fire when these waters and rivers of turmoil and strife come, God gives us two promises here in Isaiah 43, 2a. The first is that He will be with us. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You know, that, that's real clear. There's no um, ambiguity there. There are no fancy words. When you're going through hard times, God, I will be with you. Do you remember as a child being afraid of the dark? You know, there really are two things that can suddenly make the dark okay. And the first is turning on the lights. And the dark goes away. And sometimes God does that in our lives. He takes away the trial and the season. But, but most of the time, He doesn't. See, the second thing that made the dark less scary was holding the hand of your mom or your dad so that you weren't alone in the midst of the dark and you were with someone who was not afraid of the dark. You were with someone who knew what they were doing, had been down the dark corridor before. When we walk through the waters, God will be with us. Certainly, I think we're reminded of the 23rd Psalm that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is that? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, we read of waters and rivers here. We shouldn't think about the placid waters of a a lake on a calm day. Um, I took my son fishing yesterday, 
and uh, it was a little windy, but we were around a pond fishing, and it was just an amazing time to sit in God's creation and to have a little rest after work yesterday. That's not the image here. When you pass the waters and the rivers, he's not talking about a, a nice pond with a few ripples. Throughout the Old Testament, waters and seas are used as symbols of judgment and danger. Think about the Israelites as they encamped next to the Red Sea, right where God told them to. That was not a mistake on their part. On their part. Right where they were supposed to, next to the Red Sea. And then they lifted up their eyes and they saw the Egyptian army heading towards them. The Red Sea behind them was just as deadly as those Egyptian soldiers. It had trapped them. But where was God in the midst of all that? Right there with them. Indeed, He would even use the waters to simultaneously bring salvation to His people by parting the waters so that they might walk on dry ground and then to bring judgment upon the Egyptians. God used the waters of judgment for the salvation of His people and judgment on their enemies. The second promise here um, says that the rivers shall not overwhelm you. You know, note it doesn't say we're not going to get wet. Only that God will deliver us. It doesn't say that we're not going to get wet. Only that the rivers will not overwhelm us. So does this mean as the coronavirus floods our country, as the stock market tanks, as all these other things that we struggle not to continually think about, that we won't get sick or even die? That's not what it means, right? But it does mean that there is nothing in all of this cosmos, even death itself, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ and the victory over sin that is ours in Him. You know, I'm reminded of those just phenomenal words in Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as, sleep, as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. As we're seeing a lot of things stripped away, washed away, God's not going to let us go. I think we can see this um, at the beach. You can't go there right now, right? It's, uh, everything's closed up. But you know when a, a young father holds his son in the waves, uh, when the son is not old enough to swim, can't be out in the water in the waves by himself, and and so the father holds him under the arms, and as the waves come in, as he gets closer and closer, he leaves the child waist high or even chest high in the water. And as the wave gets close and finally comes, he lifts the child up just a little bit and so that the child is safe but experiences the feel 
of the crash of the waves upon his body and, and, and perhaps even the tug of the undertow as it goes back out. But let me ask you something. Is that child safe? Yes, that child is safe. He's safe in the strong arms of his father. I, I don't know what's going to happen. No one does. Um, but I don't think we have to respond in fear because our Savior has us. And we might feel the tug of the undertow. We might feel the crash of the waves as we or those whom we love are affected one way or the other, financially or physically. But the reality is that we are safe in God's hands. Verse 2 continues and says, When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Remember the context here. The southern kingdom of Judah has been defeated by the Babylonians. God had sent the Babylonians. They were weapons in his hands. They were tools of the Almighty because his people had continually committed evil in his eyes. And they no longer followed him. They had turned away from God. Though there was a small group called the remnant that was still seeking the Lord. And when they had done so, the Babylonians resettled. They sent into exile most of, uh, of the southern kingdom of Judah. And they resettled them in other parts of the Babylonian empire. So there they were. God's people living in a foreign land with foreign customs. The temple in Jerusalem destroyed. I don't think we can quite understand how much of a catastrophic impact this had on uh, God's people then. They faced many, many trials in everyday life. But God made promises to them. A time was coming soon when he would gather up his people again. They would return to the promised land. From their perspective, all seemed lost. But from God's perspective, he would soon be making good on his promises. In the words of one commentator from the 16th century, we may be baffled by the billows, but we are not swallowed up. We may even be scorched by the flames, but we are not consumed. How do we know that these promises are true? 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. See, this is where we get to the gospel. We deserve to be abandoned. We don't deserve for God's continuing presence and provision and help in this season. We don't deserve that. What we deserve is to be abandoned in the midst of trials and hardship, but not only that, but ultimately abandoned to the waters and rivers and fires of God's judgment, each and every one of us. But the phenomenal, fantastic news is God has not abandoned us but the Father abandoned His only begotten Son. He abandoned Him on the cross for us. Don't you remember the words of Jesus on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried this out so that we might be shielded from God's wrath. He died on the cross that we might be adopted as sons. He underwent the wrath of God so that the wrath that we deserve would be satisfied by the only one who could ever save us. How do we know that God's going to be with us? 
Well, let me end with Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. So Father, I pray that we would consider more and more of what you have done for us in Christ. That we would anchor our souls, anchor our hearts and our lives, all that we are in the finished work of Jesus. Knowing that all your promises of your presence and your provision and your help, these are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us this day to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.